Welcome to the Access Church Podcast. We have been, been going over this series called uh, Kingdom Identity now for, for a few weeks, and I've got to say that Honestly, I, I feel like, like this is um, one of the most powerful and, and important messages that I have ever preached in, in, in my life. And, you know, as I, I see, you know, when, when you begin to hit certain milestones in your life, you know, it gives you a, a, a lot of time to reflect and, and really think back on, on things. And, and one of the things that I have seen in my life that as I've grown and walked in, in maturity is, is I have found a renewed love and passion for the, the Word of God. You know, when I was younger, I would, I would seek experiences. I would, I would seek, you know, a feeling. And, you know, but as I've, as I've grown and, and walked with God and matured, I, I realized that you know, I, I don't want to just have an experience with God. I, I want to know God, and the best way to know God is to, to know his word. In fact, the word is the revelation of himself. The, he is his word, right? And, and the word of God is not, is not like any other book. It is a, a revelation and a manifestation and an expression of all that God is and, and all that he has for us. And so, you know, as I've been, you know, walking with this, I, I, I just feel like this is such an, an important, um, don't mind that PK, <laughs> uh, this is such an important message because there, there's something empowering and, and, and uh, about knowing who you are, right? There is something empowering. And when we, we look at it, that Satan always attacks at the point of your identity, right? He always attacks at the point of your identity. Why does he do that? Because like we've said, is that your authority is tied to your identity. And, and he hasn't changed, right? When we go to the Garden of Eden, the very first sin, what, what was the conversation? What was the dialogue that he had with Eve, right? Here Eve and Adam were in this beautiful gar garden. They were in, in, in what the closest thing that we could ever consider to be paradise here on, on, on this earth. They had, they had fellowship and communion with God. They didn't have to get up and go to work tomorrow, right? How, how are our teachers today? Did you all survive your first week? Barely? Well, thank you guys, and uh, we'll be praying for you out through the rest of the school year. But like, you're already thinking, oh, tomorrow's Monday. And, and they didn't have to do that. And yet, here, here the enemy, he, he, he walks into this dialogue with Eve, and what does he say? He says, he tells her, if you eat of this tree, right, then you will be like God, right? You'll, you'll be like God. And, and on the surface, it seems like, well, that's just him, him trying to get her to bite. But what the, the underlying tone of, of the context of that, that narrative or that, that conversation, he's basically saying that God did not make her enough, Right? That God, God was trying to convince her. And in fact, you know, God makes everything perfect, right? God made, makes everything perfect. And, and so he's saying, well, if you just have this fruit, if you, if you, if you disobey God, then, then you'll be like God. He was attacking her identity, trying to convince her that she was not enough, that she, was, that, that she needed something else and something more. But how many of you know that a perfect God only makes things perfect? 
right? A perfect God makes things perfect. And, and the fact that the same God that, that molded and shaped this, this entire world, our entire universe, the, the God that, that made the most beautiful beaches and, 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 and seas and flowers and trees is the same God that created us, right? That's the same God. And, and so the enemy from the very beginning, his MO has not changed, is he always attacks the identity. Let's fast forward to the New Testament right? The Bible says that, that Jesus was, was coming on the scene. He was about ready to start his earthly ministry. And he had this, 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 uh, this, this identity affirming moment, right? He finds himself at the Jordan River where John the Baptist is baptizing and he goes in and he gets baptized and he has this amazing encounter with God. And the Bible says that this voice from heaven descended like a dove and said, this is my son who I am well pleased, right? Right? He had that moment. He had that, that word just spoken and declared over his life. But then if you continue to read the narrative, from there he goes into the desert. He fasts for 40 days. And what happens? The enemy shows up and he attacks his identity. What was it that God said? You, this is my son, right? Who am I? I'm well pleased. What does the devil do? If you're the son of God. and turn these stones into bread. What was he doing? He was attacking his identity, right? And if he did it with Eve and he did it with Jesus, why, would, why are we to think that he would not do it with us? He attacks our, 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 our worthiness. He attacks our holiness. He attacks our righteousness. He attacks our, our ability as a father, as a mother, as a husband, as a, as a wife, as, as a worker, as a student, right? You, you go through these moments and the enemy is always bombarding you, telling you that you are not enough. And so when we understand the, the identity and we understand who God has called us to be, see, there is something empowering. There, there is something that, that can well up and build up within us when we know who we are. And so that's why we've been, we've been talking about this. Now, as we said last week, with the, the advent of Jesus coming into this world was never to bring religion, but it was always to bring government. It was never to bring religion. It was always to bring government. In fact, look at what the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying about the advent of Jesus. And look what he says. He says, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the church will rest on his shoulders. Wait, what does it say? The government. It doesn't say nothing about the church. It doesn't say nothing about religion, right? It, it, it doesn't say nothing about liturgy or routine or spiritual or spiritualness. It actually says that Jesus, the government of God, which is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, is going to rest. In other words, he is the ruler. He is, he is the king. In fact, what was Jesus' message? The only message that Jesus ever preached was one message. Matthew chapter 4, 17 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach the, this message, right? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is 
near. That word near in the original language means it has arrived. It, it, is, it is being established. It is the kingdom. Now, now the problem is that the, the, the enemy has, has, has gotten us to, to, to not have a kingdom mindset or a kingdom mentality, but he has caused us to develop a religious mindset. Right? And, and that was the very, very thing that, that, that happened with, with the people of Israel. When Jesus comes on the scene, he starts preaching. And in fact, John the Baptist preached the very same thing. He said, repent. Why? Because religion makes it about the rules. And the kingdom makes it about relationship. How many of you grew up in a religious church where it's all about the rules? Like, I remember literally going to the movies praying that Jesus wouldn't come. Because I was told that you couldn't be a Christian and go to the movies. But I could never understand why you could go to a blockbuster and bring it to your home. Like, that's okay, right? Religion, right? Religion fills it with, with, with hypocrisy. You know, well, you can't go because of the things they, 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 they do there. I'm like, what, like buy popcorn and Skittles or what? Right? And get that at Walmart. So I can't go to Walmart either, right? But religion makes it about the rules and kingdom makes it uh, uh, about the government, right? And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he realizes that he has to begin to set things straight. So he comes and, and, and when, you, when, you, when you read it in, in its original context and language, he's literally like yelling, like repent, like he's at his wit's end. And, and the word repent, when you look at it from a religious con, uh, con, context, it means to feel really bad about all the bad things you've done. It means to feel really bad, like really, really, really bad. But do you realize that when Jesus uses this language, the word repent doesn't mean to feel bad for all the things that you've done in your life. The word repent comes from two Greek words, metanoia, which means change the way you think. That's what it means. So Jesus comes on the scene and he's yelling, repent. He's like, you've got to change the way you think. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not here. He didn't tell, try to tell him, feel, all, feel really bad and remorseful and, and regret all of the evil, ugly things you've done in your life. And then, and then feel really bad and, and, then, and then follow me and, and, and become part of my kingdom. He says, no, if you want to walk with me, if you want to enter in my kingdom, you've got to change the way you think. You've got to think differently. In fact, in Matthew 5, we have the list of the Beatitudes. What was Jesus doing? He was attacking the, the religious mindset of the people because he knew that religion and kingdom cannot walk hand in hand. He was attacking. And in fact, when you hear him teach his disciples, he, you'll, you'll see this language and he repeats this phrase. He says, you say, right? And they, he would repeat the law, but then he would say, but I say this. In other words, the way you think and the way I think are really different. And that's why a lot of people have a bad taste of church. That's why you have a lot of prodigal sons and daughters that want nothing to do because they've been enveloped by the hypocrisy of religion where they made it all about the rules and not about the relationship with God. Because what is religion? Religion is nothing more than man's efforts trying to reconcile with the righteous and holy God. And I've got news for you. You'll never be able to do it. There's nothing you can do 
that could ever reconcile yourself to God. The Bible says in Isaiah that our righteousness is like filthy rags. And what that means is that you could live a perfect life. Like not even lie, like, like ever. Not even when your wife says, I look fat in this. And you're like, no. You look great. No, I know that doesn't happen to you. but Or me. You could live a perfect life. And the Bible says it's still not good enough. And God knowing that within our own human strength or effort, could we ever reconcile ourselves to him? He said, I got an idea. I'm going to reconcile myself to you. I'm going to send a part of me. I'm going to send my son to restore the relationship between you and me. And that's what the kingdom is. And in fact, that's why the, relig- the religious leaders of, of the day, they, they, they took issue with Jesus' preaching. They, they didn't like it because we talked about what does religion do? Religion can control you. They can manipulate, manipulate your, your behaviors. And now you're doing things based on performance. Well, I don't want to get in trouble by the pastor. I don't want to get in trouble by, you know, and I don't want them to look bad. And I don't want all the sisters to talk about me at the Bible study, the gossip study. I mean, the Bible study. Christian gossip, I'm going to tell you this so that you can pray. That's Christian gossip, right? I know that doesn't happen at Access Church. That's at the church down the street, right? So Jesus is saying we've got to repent. He's saying, if you're going to walk with me, you've got to change the way that you think. All these ideals and, and things you have in your head about religion, it, 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 that, that's not kingdom. That's not what it's all about. And in fact, Paul, begin, Paul even follows this language in, in the book of Romans, right? Chapter 12, verse 2, he says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. See, we, 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 we become, like I said, when, we're, when I was younger, I would, I would seek experiences or expressions, right? And, 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 and I felt like if I cried a lot or if, if I would shake in the presence of God, that that was revival. But I've come to understand that revival is not an emotional manifestation. Revival is a life that is transformed. But the Bible gives us the key to transformation. The key to transformation isn't to come in church and cry and shake and fall and roll and do all of the crazy things that a lot of people do. No, the Bible says that the key to transformation happens when you change the way you think. He says it right there. He says, but do not be conformed. Get God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. See, that's why you can, you can change your environment. You can change your environment, but you move to a different environment, your problems follow you. That's why you divorce one wife or one husband, and then you, 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 you get remarried, and then you divorce again. The statistics say that if you divorce once and you remarry, you're more likely to divorce again. Why? The problem isn't them. The problem is you. You haven't changed the way that you think. When you see marriages that have finally been, been consolidated and reconciled, it's because after I, I realize that, that it, it's not just about them. It's that there's things in me that I have to change. Changing husbands or changing wives isn't going to change anything in your life. 
You, you, just like you mess this one up, you're going to mess up the next one, right? That's how it is. And, and so Paul is giving us the key to transformation is the way we think, the, 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 to think differently. And so when you look at this kingdom language, government language is laced throughout Scripture. Last week, we talked about the word Lord, right? I, I, I said that Jesus Christ didn't come to be, to be your Savior, right? I said that. He came to be your Lord. Now, the word Lord is not a religious word. It's not a spiritual word. It is a legal term. The word Lord means sovereign owner. And so Jesus didn't come just to be your Savior. He came to be your Lord. He came to, to, to be your Lord through the... But in order for him to be your Lord, he had to ransom you or rescue you through the process of salvation, right? So it's not about salvation. It's about lordship. And lordship is not a religious word. We've adopted it into a religious context, but it's not a religious word. We made it, you know, have a religious connotation, but it's not a, a word of religion. It is a legal word. And in fact, you know that the word church, which in the Greek language is ecclesia, is not a religious word either. Ecclesia is not a, is not a, is not a religious word. It is a political word. It is a governmental word. So when, when Jesus is having this conversation with Peter, and he says, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, I will build my church, he wasn't talking about a, a place of religious meeting. He wasn't talking, because if you remember, they didn't call the church the church. They called it the temple. He wasn't talking about that. It was a political term. It was a governmental term. In fact, the ecclesia was the name for the Roman Senate. Just like we have Congress, right? We have our House of Representatives, and we have our senators. That, that's what he was saying. So if, if we would put it in modern-day vernacular, what Jesus was telling Peter, he says, upon this rock, I will build my Congress. What is Congress? What, what is Congress? Those that are elected to represent the people. Well, they're supposed to. Who knows what they're doing today, right? That's a, that's a topic for another day. Like, I'm sure we could get into some very healthy discussions about what's going on in Washington, D.C. But the way our democratic republic was established is that these people are to represent us. They're supposed to go to Washington, D.C. and represent the, the, the well-being and the needs of the people. That's the way it lines. That is the Congress. So when, when Jesus is having this conversation with Peter, he's not saying, man, you're going to make a really good church in this context. He's saying, this is who you are. You are a governing body. You are a government. And when you look at through the context of a monarch, mon, I can't say it, a monarchy or a kingdom government, the ecclesia, the Roman Senate, who are they representing? The people? Who did the Roman, who are the ecclesia, who do they represent? It's not a trick question. Rome. Who's Rome? The governor, the ruler, Caesar. Right? It's like, man. <laughs> Not a trick question, guys. The ecclesia, right? They were supposed to represent the king or the emperor, the ruler, Caesar, right? Do you know that they 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 would see Caesar as a god? 
He was a, a divine being. That's how they would, they would reverence and revere the Caesar at that level. They would, they would ascribe divinity to him. And so the ecclesia was set to establish in different regions to represent the interests of the government. So when Jesus is having this conversation, that's why you have to understand the hermeneutical context of Scripture. You've got to understand what he's saying. He wasn't telling Peter, you're going to have a really nice church and really nice lights and, and you're going to have worship. And no, he he was, what he was saying is that you're, you're going to be a part of this governing body here on the earth that is being established to represent the well-being of the government of the kingdom of God. Man, that's good stuff. I'm glad, I'm glad I'm learning this today. Right? So the ecclesia was the name for the Roman Senate. We, we're, we are a governing body. And, and, and I could even go into the whole, the, the whole discourse of the law of diplomacy because when we, when we understand the law of diplomacy, we, we, we reel this. Why? Because Paul even says that we are ambassadors, right? An, another again, another, uh, another reference to political language or governmental language, right? When you are an ambassador, do you realize that you have diplomatic immunity? You know, when, if one of our foreign diplomats was caught speeding down 57 and someone would pull him over, a really nice, young, good-looking state trooper. <laughs> I was like, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. <laughs> he wouldn't be able to give him a ticket. All he had to do is, he didn't have to pull out his license. He just has to pull out his ID that he's a diplomat. And with that, with that ID that represents, he has diplomatic immunity. What does that tell me? Is that those that are sent to govern or to establish a governing body in a foreign land are not limited or restricted by what everybody else is. So when you understand that language, who you are, you are an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Which means that you're not controlled or governed by anything else but the kingdom of God. What limits everybody else doesn't limit you. You're not limited by the stock market, the, the, the job market, the real estate market. You're not limited by those things. Why? Because you are now an ambassador of, of the government of God here on the earth, commissioned to establish and look at the well-being and represent the government of the kingdom of heaven. Man, this is good stuff. So God's original plan was to extend his kingdom here on the earth through the administrative leadership of man. Establish a family of sons and not subjects. Establish a community of citizens and not Christians. And establish a kingdom relationship and not a religion. Do you realize that just like Jesus walked on the water that you could walk on water? Jesus didn't walk on water because he was divine, because the Bible teaches, theology teaches that he was 100% God and 100% man within the context of the flesh. He was just as human as you and I. But remember what I said about identity and understanding who you are? When you're an ambassador, you're not limited by what everybody else is limited to. Let that sink in. Right? So when everybody else would sink in the water, he was walking on the water. Why? Because he was an ambassador of the kingdom of God. And he's not limited to what you and I 
or the other people might be limited to. So Jesus came to bring government or rulership. The kingdom of God is the government of God. Now, God's purposes have not changed. In his redemptive program, heaven was never meant or intended to be the primary focus or the goal for man. But the restoration and the reestablishment of the kingdom of God here in the church. And, and this is what the devil did. How did the devil get us? How did the devil hook us? How did he land in us? He made it all about heaven. And we made it all about heaven. In fact, that's the way we evangelize. If you die today, where are you going to go? Heaven or hell? It's all about heaven. And here we are not understanding that we are the governing body here on the earth. And we always tell people, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to get? Do you realize that you're not going to spend eternity in heaven? I know that's probably what you were taught. When Jesus comes, you're going to be in eternity in heaven. No. Read the book, the book of Revelation. The eschatological record. I, I said that so I could sound smart and make you think that I, believe, I know what I'm talking about. Tells us, where are we going to spend eternity? On a new earth. This same earth is going to be redeemed. A picture of what God did in us, he's going to do in the earth. He's going to restore the earth, and we're going to live here for, for eternity on the earth. Not in, the, not in what we think is heaven, but the enemy has gotten us all looking at the stars. One day, I'm going to go up there with him. I'm going to get my VIP ticket to heaven. No more tears, no more crying. Right? One day, I'm going to go to heaven. And we... While we're looking at heaven, the enemy's wreaking havoc here on the earth. And, the, and God is looking down like, dude, I gave you this amazing earth, and we're all here looking at heaven. I'm going to get on that good old gospel ship. The old school people know what I'm talking about, right? I'm going to get on that good old gospel. God says, no, it's not about the gospel ship. You have administrative responsibilities to govern the earth, to establish the kingdom of God here on the earth. It isn't just about going to heaven. We're only going to be in heaven for seven years. Not eternity. I know some of you are like, Pastor, he used to preach so good and now I don't know what's going on. But that's what happens when you have people that don't read the book. They just repeat what they've heard all their life. Jesus comes. We go to heaven for seven years. We have the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then at the end of seven years, we come down. The Bible says Jesus comes with his crown, which is us. And we come and we have this amazing battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And then what happens? That leads us into the millennial reign here on the earth. And then we have the end of the middle of the rain. We have the, the war of Gog and Magog, right? And then boom. And then Satan is bound for a thousand years, right? And then we have the final war. He's unleashed. We have the final war. And then God makes a new heaven and the earth. And we, re, we reign on the earth. Not in heaven. And that's what happened with the church. Everybody's looking up. And the enemy's wreaking havoc. Over our families, our marriages, our children, our, our world. And I mean, God is just thinking like, really, guys? I've given you authority. You are the governing body that represents the government of heaven here on the earth. So, I love what, what Bill Johnson says. 
He says, the kingdom of heaven invading the earth has always been the goal, not unsaved people invading the church. See, when we have the kingdom of God established in us, what do we talk about? We're going to extend the kingdom of God, right? And, and so we, we've gotten focused on the, the, the method and not the purpose. See, the great commission is not the purpose of the church. Right, and I know all your life you've been told the purpose of the church is to preach and make disciples and go out there, you know, and and this that's the method. the The purpose of the church was to establish the kingdom here on the earth through the purpose or through the process of discipleship and and preaching. But see, when we focus on the method, we become introspective with our purpose, and what happens is that we have made it all about us we made it about what we want what we like and and how how we want it and and i've got news for you the kingdom of god is not how you like it it's not how you want it the kingdom of god is not burger king you can't have it your way it's god's way or no way People say it all the time. Well, I, I have my own, you know, I have my own relationship with God. God God just gets me. No, you can't have your own relationship with God. The Bible says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. He's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't find God any other way than through Jesus Christ. So you can't be, well, I have my own, you know, God gets me, he created me, and God understands me. No, it's, it's just one way. It's God's way. We, we, we don't get to do this. But when, when we become introspective, we make it all about us, right? We make it about us. So let's recap. Our kingdom identity is triune. One, we are kings and priests. That's what the Bible says. Exodus 19.6 and Revelation 5.10. What do kings do? We decree and we govern. What do priests do? We worship and we sacrifice. Last, the, second, the second facet of our identity is we are citizens. What do citizens do? We administer. We're stewards. We, we multiply. And then the third to me, which is the most powerful, is that we are sons. We are a kingdom of sons and daughters, not subjects or servants. I mean, think about that. Just, just in that moment, if you could just reconcile and assimilate in your mind who you are in Christ, that you are a son or daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Even in that language, the book of Revelation says that he has tattoo on, on his thigh. And it says that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Who is the king? Jesus. Who are the kings? He's the King of kings. Who are the kings? Us. It says, he is the Lord of lords. Who is the Lord? Jesus. Who are the lords? Right? Don't get it wrong. Little K, little L. Don't get it to your head. Right? He is the king of kings, which means that we we have authority here on the earth. We, we are administrators, we are, we are stewards, we have commissioned authority, right? But when you understand that you are a son or daughter of the king, that in itself should empower you and give you the confidence when the devil, devil comes to try to challenge your worthiness, try to challenge your identity. I mean, imagine for a moment trying to convince the prince or princess, the son or daughter of a king, that they're not worthy of all the king's wealth and riches. Imagine for a moment 
that you try to convince a, 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 a son or daughter of a king that, that they're not worthy. Imagine for a moment that, that you're, 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 you're trying, you just couldn't take it out of them. Why? Because they know who they are. And when we get a, a revelation of who we are in Christ, that we are sons and daughters of the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is my daddy, that, that, that he is, is, is my owner, that I'm, I'm submissive to, to him and I come under him. Do you realize that, that sons and daughters of the king have just as much authority as the king? It's borrowed authority, but it's the same authority nonetheless. But unfortunately, because we have developed a religious mindset, this is where the church is today. Church have become members instead of sons and citizens. I love it because people ask me all the time, Pastor, how many members do you have at your church? And I say, none, I hope. They look at me all weird, right? Like, because that's like a, a, a bragging right for, for pastors. You know, that how many members you have? I'm like, I hope I don't have any members. Why? Because the kingdom of God doesn't give us an idea, identity of members. The kingdom of God gives us an identity of sons and daughters, kings and, kings and queens, right? And priests and servants. This is our identity. So I don't, I don't see that language. In fact, the only place that I see the language of membership is when it's talking about a family, right? And, and that's what we are. See, we are sons and daughters. We are not members. And, I, and I, I, I reemphasize and reiterate, he established a family of sons and not subjects. Paul continues this language. Ephesians chapter 2, 19 says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people, and you are members of God's family. The only place that we see the context of membership giving us identity is in the family. That's why we always say, welcome to the access. Family. We are not a community of Christians. We are. Because that's our identity in Christ. That's the identity the Bible gives us. Let me tell you, if the, if the devil comes to attack you, I'm a member of Access Church. You're like, and? Okay. But I'm in good standing. Member of Access Church. Okay. I serve coffee and donuts. Okay. It'll all change when you tell them I'm a son or daughter of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's where it all changes. So we are not members. We are sons and daughters. Second Corinthians chapter 6, 18 says, And I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 6, And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, Father. You know that word Abba is the Hebrew word which means daddy. It's not even translated in English because it's the informal version. There's a relational and intimate closeness and that's why the religious leaders had, had such a hard time when, when, when Jesus came and, and, and he, he began to refer to Yahweh and Elohim as, as their father. That's what, that's what they called heresy. That's what they were calling blasphemy because they, they revered God so much that they wouldn't even say his name and now you have this long-haired, bearded-looking dude wearing chanclas calling the Heavenly Father and Yahweh my father. They were like, how can, no, you, no, no, it's, it's G-D, right? 
<laughs> or E-M, right? It, you, what do you mean your father? It was a paradigm shift when he began to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I can only do the things that my father tells me to do. The father has sent me to do. See, the Jewish people, the, the, the religious mindset could never see God as a father. You know what they saw God as? As a judge. And isn't that how religion Religious churches makes us feel like, you know, you were at Cooter's last night. I don't even want to go to church. <laughs> I don't care if you were at Cooter's last night or the night before. God's not a judge. He's a loving father. And, 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 and I can hear that religious context because I, I meet people out in the community and I invite them to access church. Oh, no, Pastor, you don't want to meet because I know if I walk into the church, there'd be a lightning bolt. You know what they're telling me? They have a religious context of God as a judge and a ruler and not as a father. And I'm like, no, that's not who he is. But that's what religion makes him. And people are afraid and they want to touch the door like they might have electricity or shock or something. Right? And he came to say, I'm your father. In fact, the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Remember that, that part in the scripture? Teach us to pray. And, and, and when you understand their culture, if there's one thing that little Jewish boys knew how to do was pray, because from the time that they could talk, they were teaching them to pray. They knew all the prayers. But they also knew that Jesus prayed differently, and when Jesus prayed, things would happen. When Jesus prayed, the fish would multiply. When Jesus prayed, the, the blind could see, the lame could walk. And they began, what they were really asking is, we want to pray how you pray. That's what we want. We, we, we want to have what you have. We want to have the same results. And Jesus says, okay, if you want to pray like me, then pray like this. Our what? Tell me what your daddy wouldn't do for you. And so many people are afraid of God because they haven't had the revelation that he is a father. And they feel guilty. It's funny, I run into people at HEB that haven't been here in six months. They're in the bi-yearly plan, <laughs> right? And I don't know what they think. Like, I'm just happy to see them. Like, oh, I know, Pastor, I haven't been there. I was just, you know, I was just telling my wife, you know, I know we haven't been there in a long time. And I'm like, dude, I don't need any excuses. I just want you to know that I love you. And I'm happy to see you. Now pay for my grocery. No, no, that's not. <laughs> no, no, no. Did I, did I say the quiet part out loud? No, that's not what I'm saying. But right away, they're like, no, I, I know, I know we haven't been there in a long time. I was just, you know, we're, we're, we're going to go this Sunday. I'm like, dude, like, I know you're not going Sunday. Don't, don't even waste a lie on me, right? That's not what it's about. I just, I just want you to know that I love you. But why does that tell me? Is they see God as a judge and not as a father. And so when Jesus says, if you want the results that I get when I pray, then you've got to change the context of your relationship with him. Stop looking at it as this judge that's sitting on this throne with lightning bolts in his hand just waiting for you to mess up. Begin to look at him as the man who stood on the cross and opened up his arms and said, I love you this much. And then everything shifts and everything changes. We've got to think differently. 
about who he is. He's not the judge. He will one day be the judge. But you have the opportunity to know him as your father. Imagine if your dad was the justice of the peace. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. And he could get you out of tickets. I'm saying the quiet part out loud again. One of these days we'll let you in on all my inside jokes. I'm a, like Pastor Sanders saying, I'm not perfect. I'm very human, okay? I just hope you don't get to see that side. I'm just kidding. But imagine for a moment that your daddy was the most wealthiest, powerful man on the face of the earth. How, how do you think you would walk? How do you think you would carry yourself? How would you think you would react to situations? How do you think you would respond knowing that your dad is the most wealthiest, powerful, influential man in the whole world? That with one phone call, he can get you out of trouble. I've got news for you. That's who your daddy is. That's who he is. And that's why Jesus is saying, you've got to change the way that you think. It's not about the rules. Yes, God requires, be, I, I know he says, be holy because I am holy. But, but when, when you understand that, that the law produces sin, but the law of Christ, which is grace, produces life, everything changes. So I don't know where you're at in your walk with him today. Maybe you were like me, you grew up with all the rules, afraid to go to the movies, or a school dance. But I'm here to tell you, he's not the judge, he's your father. And he loves you this much. But we've got to see him differently to be able to accept his love. Will you stand? Man, this was good. Lord, I thank you for the revelation of your love. God, I thank you for reminding us who you are in our lives and reminding us who we are in you. We are sons and daughters of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. God, I pray that you would uproot and, and pull out every, every ounce of religiousness, every ounce of, of, of a pharisaical spirit in us that causes us to criticize and condemn and judge others and even criticize and condemn ourselves. God, and I pray today that we would have a true mind-changing encounter, a life-transforming change in the way that we think and how we see you and how we see ourselves.
Lord, I just thank you for your love. And thank you because you are a good, good father. And you've made good, good sons and daughters. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, maybe you've never entered into that relationship. Maybe you've only known God as, as the ruler, as the judge, and you have yet to know him as your father. And you want that opportunity to be reconciled to him. Maybe you grew up in a religious context. Maybe you grew up where it was about ritual and liturgy and routine. And it wasn't about kingdom and love and relationship and grace. And today you say, you know what, Pastor? I want to know him as my heavenly father. And the way we know him is through his son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says it's very simple. You just accept him and love him surrender to him and you become part of the family if that's you today with every head bowed and every eye closed and you say you know what I want to know him as my heavenly father today I want you to raise your hand right where you're at thank you there's one two three four five six seven eight nine ten thank you God today because you're changing the way people think you're changing the way that people will relate to you now the way they'll see you and once they see you differently they will see themselves differently thank you for raising your hands and we're going to say a prayer and I want everybody to repeat it just to make sure we're on the safe side okay say dear heavenly father thank you for being a good father. Thank you for sending your son to give me life. I take the price that he paid for my faults, for my mistakes, and for my sins. And I accept him as the Lord of my life. I surrender my heart and I surrender my will. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give the Lord a hand clap? Thank you for joining us. And a special thanks to those who have given to support this ministry. Without you, none of this is possible. If you like this podcast, please like and subscribe and share it on social media. Thank you for listening. God bless you.